an original presentation from America's premier audio theater group, Seeing Ear Theater. I am standing on a solid white floor in the center of a mammoth white room. I am stone still, without purpose or intent. I cannot move. But alas, there is no reason to move, for there is no way out. There is no escape. There are no doors, no windows. Just four perfectly pristine white walls, hospital white, stretching up, topped by a white ceiling a hundred feet up. And then there's a ball, a super bouncing ball, like the kind you can buy for a quarter at the supermarket. And it begins to bounce in the distance, harmless in the distance, in this white room. It's a black ball. It bounces higher and higher and gets closer and closer to me. And instead of slowly fading and coming to rest, it bounces more and more, higher and higher still, all around me. It surrounds me. Quickly, it gets bigger and bigger and louder and louder. And here, it's important to stop and note it's not the ball itself, but the sound. It's the sound of the ball as it bangs on the wall. It can't get out. So it keeps growing. It's huge now. Four, five, and now six times as big as me. And the ball begins to break apart the ceiling and the walls. And a white piece is shattering like glass, falling away, revealing... Nothing. Nothing but more and more and still more white beyond. Until the ceiling and the walls are gone. I'm standing on a white plane with a white background and still the ball bounces and grows. The sound is deafening. And now the ball begins to break apart the floor into hundreds and now thousands of small and getting smaller ice flows. The ice flow I'm standing on is melting and shrinking, breaking apart under the weight of the ball, the still bouncing ball, till there's nowhere else for me to go, nowhere else for me to stand. And I wake. The Dominion proudly presents Into the Sun, starring Mark Hamill in a bizarre tale about a man's unlikely voyage to the nearby but still quite distant star. Wolf 389. And what he finds there, you could only find here. Welcome to the Seeing Ear Theater, the theater of the imagination. It is a reoccurring dream from childhood, a nightmare I had long ago on Earth in Tennessee. It would send me screaming into my parents' room, The ball, Mommy! The ball's gonna get me! Don't let the ball get me! <laughs> Well, they must have laughed and wondered about me. I'm still wondering about me. It's a dream I hadn't had in some 40 to 50 years. Until last night. And the night before, and the night before that. Each of the last three nights since I woke from cryo-hibernation. The dream seems... Well, it is real. As real as this. As real as this bed. These steel walls. It's disturbing. But I'm confident it, too, is just one of the lingering effects of thawing out. The body's not meant to be frozen, you know. I am the lead physician on board the second expedition to Wolf 389. The first ended in disaster, the entire crew dead. They arrived safely across the heavens, but not a soul woke. 
The cryo unit failed, and they died in their sleep. It was my greatest fear coming. Not the distance or the loneliness, but the 19 years of transit, asleep, in stasis, and the chance. But I was one of the first to thaw out. 83 are awake and well, and the last set of 10 will awake this morning, in 30 minutes' time. I'll need to be there. I'll need to help them through the jarring effects of melting. Of coming up from absolute zero, absolute zero, at which point your body and all the molecules that make up your body are still. But meanwhile, the world, the steel tube, everything that surrounds you continues to vibrate. And you slip out of this place and into something different. And when you return, you're a wreck. A series of wrecks for three to four to five days. On day one, you're numb. Your memory's gone and your bones are brittle. You move in what feels like super slow motion. On day two, your memory returns, but more, you begin to tingle. Your whole body tingles like a, like a limb that's been asleep and wakes. But a hundred, a thousand times stronger. And by the third and fourth days, you're electric. Everything seems heightened, like your brain and spinal cord have been locked in coiled spring. And suddenly it's burst up and is at its apex. But of course, it must snap back. And on the fifth day, it does. And soon after, you return to normal. The alarm clock sounds. I jump out of bed, but pause for a moment before heading to the bathroom. I gaze out the view screen, straight back at Earth. There are a million stars, but amid them, I can pinpoint our sun, a soft white light. And I know I am part of something. I've waited half a lifetime to be here, in this moment, right here, right now. I have but twenty minutes. I hop in the shower and out. Fifteen minutes. I've decided to shave off my beard this morning. I'm feeling a bit older, wanting to look a bit younger. And I'm doing so. I'm cutting myself here and there when I notice what is, I trust, another of the post-hibernation effects. It is as if I could hear more than I should. I can hear the razor as it pulls, bends, snaps each hair. I can hear the razor as it nicks me, as it catches on a mole and pulls and cuts me. I wash my face, and now as I'm drying my face, now I feel the heat. It's the first time. I check the vents in the bathroom and the bedroom. They're operating properly. Air is passing through. It's cool. But the room is warm, and quickly getting warmer. <sighs> no matter. It's late. I'm running late. I have to attend to the waking dead. I step out into the corridor and stop. It's hotter still. I wipe the film of sweat from my smooth cheeks. I look left and right. There's no one around. It's unusually quiet. But I can hear something in the distance. It's extremely faint. It sounds like... like the chattering of teeth. Hundreds of sets of teeth in the distance. I ride it off to the further misadventures of frozen sleep and make my way down the corridor, past no one, towards my office. The automatic door is on the fritz. It opens and closes on its own accord, fast. So quickly now, and if I have to be honest, with a bit of trepidation, I gauge the timing. Up, down, up, down, up. I leap through into the dark room. And in midair, in mid-stride, the light senses me and flicks on. 
I catch the quickest glimpse of the room, just enough to throw me, and I land and plant my left foot. But it slips from beneath me, and I fall, and my left arm juts out and flails. But by the grace of God, my right hand catches a desktop, and I do not hit the ground. I straddle and hang. I see the room. There's broken glass beneath me. There are vials and smashed monitors and needles. There's been a battle here. There's blood. I see that I've slipped in a pool of blood. I stand and swing about, but there's no one. There are no bodies. I check. The blood is not from storage. It's fresh. Someone is hurt, and from the looks of it, dying. I radio security, but there's no one there. I contact the bridge, but again, there's no one there. I consider the possibility that the communications console in my office is out. I step towards the door, and now I can hear the chattering teeth more clearly. They're getting louder. Only they're no longer teeth, or have never been teeth. It's something burning. How could I mistake it? Something on the ship is burning. I jump through the up and down doors. I see no blood. In fact, I see nothing in the corridor. No bits of glass. Nothing. No smoke either. But it is getting hotter. The back of my shirt sticks to me. The front too. I walk down to the hibernation room. It's a couple hundred feet off. And again, I pass no one. I'm inside the room. The cryo unit gurgles and hums. And for a few brief moments, I do not hear the burning. And I am grateful for this. But the short piece ends. I look into the chambers. All of them are empty, including the last ten. The last ten that are scheduled to wake in five minutes. There's no blood. There's been no struggle here. There are no bodies. They've just disappeared. I attempt to radio security, the bridge again, but there's no response. Huh. I'm not sure what to do. I'm hot. I run through the long and winding corridors. I- I'm lost. I think I'm heading towards the bridge. I think. I am. I think. <sighs> it's really hot as hell, and it's getting hotter. It's, it's somehow getting hotter, and the sound of the burning is getting louder and louder. I open all the doors I pass. I, I don't bother to buzz. There's no one to burst in upon. And though I know it is not my birthday, I'm certain of it. I just can't help believing or hoping that everyone is just beyond the next bend, just behind the next door, lying in wait, about to be discovered, lying and waiting to jump out. To scare me to death, but again and again, there is no one, and I am terrified. In five minutes' time, from showering and shaving to this, and now, the sounds of my footsteps on the steel floors explode like Bigfoot, like Godzilla stomping on my eardrums. But what's worse is that between each step, in the quick lull between each stop, I can hear the burning. I can hear the fire. It's louder than before. Louder still. I can hear it with absolute clarity. But there is no smell. I am near the bridge. I approach the bridge. I think I'm near the bridge. I think I approach the bridge. The doors snap open, and I know I am on the bridge. But I cannot see. I'm blinded. I clutch at my eyes and collapse in a pile on the floor and shield my face. From what? Slowly, a bit of sight returns, and I can see the cracks and lines of the inside of my right hand glowing. Is anyone there? I shout, but there is no answer. But I'm not surprised. 
I ask the computer to shut the view screen, which it does, and the room returns to normal. What's our destination? I ask. It's okay, Julian. We're on course. We're heading to Wolf 389. I know that, but specifically? Wolf 389, specifically. The star itself? Are you nuts? I'm not nuts. We're going to conduct some tests on solar flares. It's what you wanted to do. They're really something, you know. You ought to take a look. What? Get us out of here. Change course. 130 degrees left. Calm down. Stop it. Don't open that view screen. Okay, okay. Change course. Now. You don't want to do that. And besides, I can't. Take a look at the flares. They're magnificent. Computer, relinquish automatic control. Relax. You have nothing to worry about. I am Dr. Julian Freed, identification number 429-TZE. Computer, return controls to manual. I know who you are, but I can't. You won't. I feel awful. You're scared. You're damn right I'm scared. Turn the ship around. It's okay. Please, stop asking me. I can't change our course. We'll burn up. We can't go into the star. We'll incinerate. The integrity of the heat shields will hold. Don't be afraid. I quit this line of questioning. I find some tools. I'm not an engineer, but I figure I can demolish a computer. I can cut wires. So I bang and stab and cut. But I can't seem to make a dent. I keep on. I'm frantic. I'm moving so fast. I'm frenzied. And it's so hot. The tools are slipping out of my hands. I'm hitting myself. I'm cutting myself. I can't hold on to them. My hands are bleeding. I'm sweating. The sound of the burning hurts. I still bang and stab and cut. An hour. I can't give up. Are you having any luck? No, you can see that. Well, I didn't mean to. I apologize. The strange thing is, I believe you. I do. But it doesn't help. Julian, stop. You're hurting yourself. Help me, then. Turn the ship around, please. I can't do that. I can't. Don't let me die. You're going to be okay. The flares? Screw the flares! Turn us around! Turn us around! We'll burn up! There's an easier way. What? What can I do? If you insist, there is something. What? Tell me. There is an escape pod. Perhaps. How could I forget the escape pod? Of course! I sprint off the bridge, stumbling and tripping, until I reach the spheroid-shaped pod. I strap myself in and shoot out from the ship, away from the blinding light of the sun and into the comfort of deep, dark space. But the pod slowly rotates. It slows its acceleration away from the sun and turns, as if tethered to the ship. It begins to yank back into the sun like a yo-yo. There is no escape. I am going to die. I see the ship in front of me. I'm close behind. I see the ship as it heads into the sun. I see the ship as it breaks apart and disintegrates. I'm next. They are alive and well somewhere. The smallest sprout shows there is really no death. And if ever there was, it led forward life and does not wait at the end to arrest it and ceased the moment life appeared. All goes onward and outward and nothing collapses. And to die is different from what anyone supposed and luckier. Has anyone supposed it lucky to be born? I hasten to inform him or her it is just as lucky to die 
And I know it. How so? Come on, Tim. No, I want to know how it's luckier for Julian to be dead. Let it go. None of us are happy he's gone. Marie, I think it's a beautiful poem. He's lying in a steel tube. He's about to incinerate. He's not in that tube. He's not gone. You don't understand. Explain it to me then, please. I want to know how it's luckier for Julian to be dead than here, alive, talking to us about the effects of cryo-hibernation. Hangnails, iced tea, the stars, whatever. He's at peace. He's lucky to be at peace. He's part of something. The vacuum of space. Everyone deals with it differently, you know, Tim. But Julian would have been sick at the thought of someone reading that Shakespeare. It's Walt Whitman. And he'd have been touched. He had a... He's a beautiful soul. He's dead. He's nothing. Nada. That's what he thought. That's what he believed. He ceases to exist. Perhaps he was wrong. Wouldn't it be nice if he was wrong? I'd like to believe that. I would. I'm not sure it matters, though. He took no comfort at the thought of death. Read her what you found, Frank. What is it? Uh, I don't think... He's dead. Read it. That's a note from Julian. It's a couple hours till they put us down. I said my goodbyes. It didn't take long. I feel like an old dog going to the vets for the last time. I can't shake it. I can't. It's 19 years. Anything could go wrong. Any one of a million things. And then that'd be it. I wouldn't even know. That's the worst part. But I can't back out. It's just a long night of sleep. That's all. I have to tell myself. It'll be fine. They know what they're doing. They've perfected it. It can't happen again. It'll be okay. And when I wake, it'll be Brigadoon. What's Brigadoon? An old musical. Brigadoon's Paradise. It's a place that only wakes for a day, then it sleeps a hundred years, then it wakes another day, and so on, ad infinitum. It'll be Brigadoon. Another world. New worlds to explore. Everything new. Wow. He was scared. Terrified. It's normal. He also believed. He hoped. He wanted his remains shot into a star. I think that means something. That's a throwaway. What's that supposed to mean? It didn't matter to him. He wanted this. Us sitting around talking about him, watching him burn. I think he knew. I think you underestimate him. I think you romanticize Guys. Him. Guys, please. Hey, look at this. Look at the monitor here. I can still see him. Solar flares are stunning. The first solar flares ever seen over Wolf 389. I can still see him. There he goes. He's gone. The escape pod rattles and shakes. It begins to break apart, pieces of the pod popping off, flying off. Nothing melts, just breaks apart. And suddenly, I am less afraid. I seem to watch as I too begin to break apart. No mess of blood or body parts. Just the slow fragmentation of the self into pieces, into smaller and smaller pieces, smaller still, till there is nothing. I pass through and around the subatomic particles of the sun and come out the other side, still wondering, but a little less afraid, still wondering, what now?